0: Hey Retention Pros, I'm Noah Rahimzadeh and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi Mariah.
1: Hey everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem.
0: But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve brands.
1: And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk with our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today.
0: We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us.
1: Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. hello everyone before we get started with today's episode if you've been listening you already know about the tracking page design contest that we are running here at malomo i wanted to emphasize that it's open to any and all shopify and shopify plus brands and agencies so you can check that out at gomalomo.com or by following the link in our bio hope you enjoy this awesome episode
0: George, great to see you, man. Newest episode of Retention Chronicles. And we've rescheduled this like 10 times. So it's great to have <laughs> you on. Uh, you know, that's not a slight at you. We I think I rescheduled at least once or twice on my end. So it's been a minute, it's been a long time coming, but super, super pumped to have founder and CEO of Yocto Agency here. Uh, George with us today, and we'll uh we'll let him introduce himself and in, George, as part of introducing yourself, don't tell the don't tell the Yocto story yet, but definitely tell us one or two things that you're excited about in your personal life.
2: Okay, first of all, thank you for uh, for having me here. We did reschedule a couple of times, so uh, <laughs> as I told you, I think this podcast is haunted. I hope it's yeah. <laughs> is, is, is worth it in the end, but because it was really uh, tough to 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 make it happen. So, things I'm excited about. Uh, you mean like personal things or like work things? Yeah, yeah,
0: personal things.
2: Personal things. I've started taking care of my health uh, because I have way more free time lately, because the, the business actually goes quite well, right. Which by extension allows me to focus more on you know like fitness, health, etc. Like, for example, I used to be a very heavy smoker and I've quit wow. smoking freely.
0: Wow. Wow. Did you yeah, supplement a, with uh, any other like nicotine? Gum or anything like that, or totally just cold turkey.
2: I, I guess I should have, but I'm the like I, I'm the type that just goes cold turkey and suffers for a week or two, and then <laughs> <laughs> and then that's it. So no, I quit cold turkey. I started uh, going to the gym again. You know, like a bunch of things, eating more healthy, etc. I think one thing that happens when you, you know, kind of like really start focusing on business is that you kind of deprioritize your health. Which yeah. is the worst possible thing you can do, actually, because if you do that, you have less energy, and if you have less energy, you do less for the business, which is like kind of a stupid thing. But we all do it in a sense. So very happy to to actually move out of that trap.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a big unlock. I was with some ecom founders this weekend, and one of them uh, was talking about how he's getting his business to the point where he can he's sort of operationalizing it to the point where he can step away a lot more. And, you know, this is a young guy probably somewhere in between, uh, around our ages. And, um, he's like, I'll be honest. Like I was, I was concerned. I wouldn't love not working. And he's like, it's awesome. Like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> Now it's just trying to optimize everything to work less, but uh, continue obviously running, you know, the successful business. So it's great to hear that Yocto is in that position. Are you, do uh, you doing any travel as well as part of this extra free time this summer?
2: I am uh, planning to go to the Grand, is it called Grand Canaria or Grand Canary? Gran Canaria, it's like islands in Spain. Basically, it's a really nice place. Oh, I'm gonna nice. stay for a while, though. Yeah,
1: I gotta look this up. Is have you Canary heard of it, Island? Mariah? Wait, Canary Islands? Is that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that's how it's okay. called, Gran Canaria, something like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, wow. I might have to look it up specifically, but
0: oh, this looks so awesome! Holy cow,
2: it's cool. And as far as I as I heard, like there is also like a digital nomad type of community there. So it's, it's going to be like quite nice to uh, also meet people and stuff.
0: Very nice. Well, congrats I, on that. I didn't
2: get uh, the tan, you know, like I'm still white as here and I live in Greece. So I really <laughs> to do something
0: like that. So. You got to get the tan. Yeah, the tan yeah. going. Um, it's great to hear Yaxto's in that position. Let's, that's a good sort of transition. Let's talk about um, your professional background leading up to Yocto. And then let's get into the agency and, um, you know, what you who you guys serve, how you're differentiated. And I'll, I'll guide that part of the conversation. But we'd love to just start with like your, your background, George, up until Yocto.
2: So I've been in e-commerce for quite a long time. My first role actually was in copy. I was a copywriter, a direct response copywriter for a company called Div Brand. It's an e-commerce company, quite successful. I was there quite early on and basically the company blew up like we grew quite fast and along with the company also started growing professionally like i became the copywriter i had a team of copywriters and i became like a marketing manager then a marketing director and by the time i decided to leave the company i was uh, besides the two owners of the company i was like the highest ranking uh, executive at least from a marketing standpoint uh, and then I was a consultant for a time, um, basically went to a variety of companies and like helped them improve their marketing, not just from an email marketing slash retention slash CRM perspective, but also like CRO. I've done some work on paid media. I've done a bunch of things really because my role was diverse. Um, eventually, I decided to uh, focus in the retention space primarily because I was seeing a lot of demand there and I had uh, experience in that. And what happened basically was that I had too much work to do after a point uh, as a consultant. And I said, you can either kind of stay doing what you're doing and then, because I was living a good life already, right? Like I was making good money. It was relatively easy. Or you can try to build something bigger than yourself. And I decided to do the, the, the second uh, thing. So this is how Yocto. Uh, was created initially the brand name was me it was like me as a consultant I had like some you know uh, contractors that were helping me with a bunch of things but it was basically me but I said no forget about George and also this is almost like a mindset change because initially I wanted to be the expert I wanted to be the guy that everybody wow. would pay to but now I don't really care at all I want the company <laughs> to, to be the expert like I don't care about being popular or known or like it's not important to me. I want Yocto to be well known. So this happened actually uh, last September. So Yocto is less than a year old. Um, we do. Do you want? Do you want me to start getting into like the details of Yocto? Yeah. Or like-
0: no, that's that's great. And um, I am curious. Like before you get into Yocto, because there's so many consultants and there's a ton of agencies as well in the Shopify ecosystem. Like. How, how? Why do you think it was that you hit this critical mass where you like basically either had to start an agency and hire to support all of your demand, or be a lot more selective and stay where you were at? Like, what do you attribute that level of uh, attention and success to uh, before before you even started the agency?
2: A lot of people would say something along the lines of. I'm better, I'm more skilled, etc. The reality is that much of it is luck, really. You get wins, and then those wins lead to more wins. Like, mm-hmm. for example, my initial success at the brands led to the first projects I had as a consultant. And then I, I guess lucked out again because I worked with a very big company called Kilo Health. Um, mm-hmm. Like, they're above 200 million in. In annual revenue and that leads to more success and it spirals out of control and the big part of it is luck because it's not that you are hardworking than everybody else it's just that you are hardworking you might be smart or capable and also the circumstances are right so I would say luck is a big factor and then obviously there's probably an element of me knowing what I'm doing also when it comes yeah, to work
0: right right and, and and I guess
2: like if I were to to, to give you a trait uh, I, I take I take the money that people pay me very seriously, meaning that I do try to go the extra mile. Like it's not that I try to, you know, deliver the value to the client as efficiently as possible for me necessarily, but I try to deliver the maximum value to the client. Those are not always the same.
0: Right. No, that's a great point And in a unique perspective. Um, yeah. Why don't we get into Yocto and, um, one of the questions that I like to ask, and you might you might have just already answered it, but um, you know, not only who Yocto serves, but again, because there are so many different options when it comes to agency support in the Shopify ecosystem, sort of what makes Yocto as an agency, uh, you know, beyond just your personal traits, which I agree with, uh, a unique offering uh, to Shopify merchants.
2: I would say. There's probably a lot of agencies that do good work out there. I wouldn't say that we are the best necessarily, but what I will say is that we are for sure philosophically different, which makes us Mm. structurally different. And I'll tell you what I mean. When I say philosophically different, what I mean is that it's not really uh, a once a week touch base type of thing. We really do try to become an extension of the business of our clients. Basically, the business of our clients becomes our business, if that makes sense. And this philosophical difference makes us structurally different, which is the practical ways we're different. So to make this concrete, I would say we have one of the best, if not the best, at least to my knowledge, strategies to client ratios, meaning that one strategist can work with a maximum of three clients. Oh, interesting. It's often seven, ten, What does this mean? It means that the time they give you is much less and therefore the depth of the service is much uh, smaller. Another, I I, I think really important advantage we have is that we have what we call cross-account audits, which means that one strategist audits the work of another strategist. For you as a client, this has no disruption at all, but you're really getting two brains for the price of one. That's a huge advantage. It leads to net new ideas without any disruptions for you. Another way we are different. We do what I call a technology audit. If you recall, when we started working together, like as as partners, I asked you very specifically and very intentionally, what technologies does Malomo work well with? That was because I have a big list of technology and I, I want those companies to be synergistic between themselves. I have a big list of companies that can cover everything, in the technology stack of a client. And when we start working with a client, we really do audit everything they have from the pop-up all the way to what happens after the sale. And by auditing this, we're able to spot caps. We're able to spot inefficiencies. And by extension, we're able to make recommendations and help them implement what would add more value to them. And they don't pay extra for that. That's part of our service. Another advantage, how people pay us You know, in most (laughs) cases, what happens is you start working with someone and they say, hey, like this is our fee, you need to pay like five, six thousand, you pay this and then we start. We don't do it like that. And we don't do it like that because we have a healthy business. We have cash flow. We don't care to collect upfront. Instead, we invoice you at the start of the next month. So we start today, but you pay the first of September. What does this mean? It means that you have a full month almost to make the money that you're going to pay me. Yeah. So there's a lot of advantages like that. And I would say that, again, There's I'm not saying we're the best necessarily, but if you think about our niche focus, which is health and wellness, we have a lot of experience in health and wellness. And if you think about our price point, we are for sure one of the best.
0: Yeah. I've seen that come through in the merchants that we've worked on together, like the you know, a lot of our agency partners, and I don't even think this is necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of them are pretty hands-off when it comes to Malomo specifically. Like, I, I don't know how they are with their other technology partners, but a lot of times it's, you know, we're their preferred order tracking solution. They recommend Malomo and then they let the client or our team build, the, build out the, the post-purchase experience. And like I said, we're really good at that. Some merchants are really good at that. Others need a lot more hand-holding. But regardless, I think the added oversight that you've been able to provide your uh, your merchants that we've worked on together has led to some problem solution, you know, uh, identification and resolution. It's helped us be more efficient and learn from one another. Um, and it's helped the merchant get value more quickly because you are so... Um, sort of intricately looking at everything they have going on with that in mind, you mentioned earlier, your, your focus on retention, and I want to make sure that our listeners are privy to exactly what services you're providing. So you're super hands-on, but it's probably not every single aspect of the business. Correct me if I'm wrong. So what, what areas of the business are you typically focusing on at this level of of depth
2: that October provides? We are helping we are managing rather uh, email and SMS for most of our clients. Our biggest clients have a CRO component that's in addition to this, but we don't really offer this very frequently. Got it. CRO okay. landing page tests, optimization, that type of thing. Got it. Which, yep. which actually works well with email and SMS because people don't really think about that. That what happens after you click on the on the email is like important, right? So exactly. Yeah. I
0: mean, the the obvious example for us is like some merchants will come to us and say they already have their post-purchase flows, their order tracking flows in Klaviyo. And that is great, right? Like it's it's a good thing to do because you're able to brand those templates a lot more easily than you are in Shopify. You're able to even put some, as we all know, put some marketing content in the bottom and drive some uh, marketing results as a, as a result of that. But uh, if you're still linking out to UPS or FedEx from that email, <laughs> you you've just basically wasted all of your time and effort, you know, moving those emails over to Clavio because you're not ca- recapturing any of that web traffic. And therefore you're not able to convert that web traffic into more sales uh during order tracking or subscription program signups during order tracking or uh, you know, leveraging your UGC for brand affinity. So I think that that is absolutely a great call out that CRO and and website optimization is, goes hand in hand with email and SMS. Would you add anything to that?
2: I would just add that what you just said about bringing the transactional traffic back to the website is a major missed opportunity. I I have to say this, like I was skeptical at first. Yeah. Uh, because I you know like that are people gonna really buy after they bought while they're right. cheap. but <laughs> actually they, they do actually. And they do it in great numbers. And the best thing for people like me that are in the you know email marketing space and so on, those emails actually have insane engagement. Insane, the lecture which you've never seen before, anywhere else. You've never seen that type of click rate, you've never seen that type of open rate. And every time this happens, like every time this happens, you're sending a positive signal of deliverability so it really helps with everything else think of, like it helps the customer it helps the brand because you're getting returning traffic you can educate them on the landing pages you can get repeat orders and also it helps the rest of your email marketing program so it helps the marketer as well it's it's really a no brainer the price that uh, you have is like really a no brainer i would say like and, and i would be tempted and i'm not saying this because i'm in the podcast, <laughs> but I, would be, I would be tempted to say that if you're not doing this, you should do it. They shouldn't think. You should just go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Appreciate you saying that. We couldn't agree more. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's funny that like, it does feel like such a no brainer for all Shopify merchants. Um, I think that there's still a lot of education that needs to be done to be honest because of what you said, George, that you know most most brands who haven't thought about optimizing order tracking either haven't thought about or don't believe the results that can be driven from it from a net new sales perspective. And um, I think for me personally, there's a lot of stats that we talk about a lot, like 15% of your order or your uh, web traffic hits the order tracking page. Customers view their uh, or track their order about five times on average per order. But the craziest stat that I've heard in my entire time at Malemo is that Customers will buy more stuff while they have an order on the way to their house 3% of the time. So, like, it doesn't sound like a crazy number at all. But for a lot of our merchants, it's high six figures, low seven figures, and annual revenue that they're doing just by providing upsell and cross sell opportunities on that order tracking page on their own site. So, uh, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, I didn't believe that, but now I've seen it firsthand exactly. for a year and a half. Exactly. And it's a massive, and massive opportunity.
2: I think you need to see this to believe this. But what what might be, I guess, easier for people to digest is the following: like, if you think about the retention, what is the retention? Retention is an outcome of the customer trying and liking the product, right? That that's what it is. Having a good experience, let's say, and like achieving what they wanted to achieve with the product. That that's how retention happens. And if you start the relationship with the customer on the right foot which giving a good transactional experience is exactly what you're doing then you're coloring everything else in a positive light so it, it it i think the implications and the impact it has actually goes way beyond what you see on the actual emails being sent themselves it probably creates positive associations that trickle down the the lifetime like for a long time because Especially if you're buying something, like today I bought an Ura ring. I think Ura ring is called, it's like an expensive, like, I don't know, 400, something like, I don't recall how much, but it's kind of expensive. Now, if I received no notification or anything, like, <laughs> I will be well, they tell what happened. And I actually received an SMS that tells me like it's gonna arrive there. Uh, like, every, I feel pretty much reassured that, okay, I didn't get scammed. Like I I can rest easy, you know, that I spend my money in a good way. And that feeling has a lot of value, even if you can't really quantify it so easily.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's another challenge that we run into is especially if merchants push back on order tracking being a revenue channel, which we've proven at this point. um, Take that away. And just think about driving fifteen percent of your traffic to UPS and FedEx first back to your site, where at least you can provide a branded experience. Like to your point, you know, merch, uh, especially for those higher value merchants, where you're buying expensive things or you're trying anything for the first time. There's there's a level of nervousness in that experience. And by providing a more tailored, personalized, and branded experience versus a generic experience that's confusing, <laughs> which is what Shopify out of the box is for, for order tracking, um, you're, you're absolutely creating positive brand uh, brand affinity. So couldn't agree more with you there um, and appreciate that. It's, the, it's the really
2: not great because like people pay a lot for a design agency to make a nice branded website. And then they're sending the notifications that look like garbage. Right. It's, it's like, yeah. we need to do that. But anyway, it, I, exactly. I, I think exactly. we made our okay. case. Like, if it is time to work, I don't know what else
0: to Yeah, we could talk about this for, for hours. Um, okay, I want to get to, like, a recent project you've worked on that you're proud of. You don't have to say the client name or uh, any sort of specific results. But if you can share name and or results, that's great. But first, um, Email and SMS is an interesting space right now in terms of vendors. I know that you work closely with Klaviyo on the email side. Are you leveraging them on the SMS side or are you using another? And what are your thoughts about consolidating platforms around email and SMS?
2: It's a really good question. Um, I'm very well connected uh, with Klaviyo. They know me. In my first uh, name, like um, in the London offices, at least. However, however, for me, the priority is always the merchant, which means that if a merchant, and this happened recently, actually, if a merchant is well-entrenched on a platform like Attentive, right? And they have basically no real reason to migrate from Attentive. At this moment in time, I'm not going to force them to move to Playview. Yep. I prefer Playview. Attentive, guys, if you're hearing this, I'm sorry, but I prefer radio. <laughs> But I'm still going to work with attentive. I'm still going to work with like Sandlane or like w- whatever platform it is. Um, I think generally speaking, consolidation is a great thing. If nothing else, because it makes the workflows of the teams that are working in the program easier. It's easier to have one place mm-hmm. where everything lives than have to like piece things together from three different platforms. It's just easier. That's one thing. The second thing is that it allows you to do things that are more effective. Meaning, if I have in my Klaviyo, let's say, the review data, like if someone said, I appreciate this trait of that product. If I have this data stored on the profile level, then I can use that to create an automation or like a campaign. It, it allows you to do more things, to have everything in one place, rather than having it, let's say in Yotpo or like another platform that would not be connected to my um, to my email profile. So I do believe in it, yes. But fundamentally, I would say we're not married to Klaviyo and yep. we would always prioritize what is best for the merchant.
0: Awesome. I'm always interested to get, uh, you know, leading agencies perspective on that because I think there are pros and cons to both. We work agnostically across... Klaviyo, Attentive, and Postscript. And we've seen a lot of clients have success on all those platforms. So we're agnostic in that regard, but uh, always love to get your perspective.
2: Okay, I, let's I, move on. I would say oh, one yeah. thing about it that I think is important. It's very common that we use technology as a crutch, almost. Like we say, oh, we should move to this tool because it has that feature or that feature. But the reality of the situation is that all of the leading platforms, they have so many features, they're so robust, that it's yeah. very unlikely you're maximizing them in the first place. And right. if you're changing from one platform to another, all you're really doing is like trying to find a crutch, basically. And if the pilot of the platform remains the same, it's doubtful that it will lead to better results. And yeah, like this is especially true, I would say, for enterprise uh, platforms, like uh, uh, let's say bigger than Clavio, because then things really become complicated. But why do you need this complexity? Do you really need this complexity? It's not an obvious answer.
0: Right, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, there's a ton of, I would imagine there's a lot of switching costs, right? Whether it's, exactly. even if it's just the amount of time, it's the, it's a pretty heavy amount of time. Any sort of ESP migration is a big lift. Um, exactly. So. Yeah, that's a great call out. Yeah, I know,
2: trust me, trust me. I, I know. About. Yeah, you've done that, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> done that a few times, felt that pain. Um, okay, tell us about a recent client project that you're particularly excited about. Uh, again, you don't have to say the client name if you can't. I can, but, I can uh, I
2: don't mind. Yeah, I can. yeah, let's do it. I'm, I'm really excited about, uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic brand. Uh, it's called Mayovi. it's in the UK. The founder yeah. is one of the smartest People I know, like he worked on Google, he's a doctor, like he's a very bright guy. And it's not necessarily that I'm proud of the results we have for them. Mm -hmm. The results are great. We have a case study on the website, yokto.agency, like everyone can take a look. The results are great. But what I really like is that, and it speaks to what I was saying earlier, right? Like we help them actually define the new products they would develop for their brand. We did a lot of surveys. We discovered a lot of pain points for the audience. And now the brand is developing products to address those pain points. So it, it, what, what I like is that it feels like we have an actual impact on the business. It's not that we have like great open rates, great click rates and stuff like that, which is nice. It's always nice. It's always nice to see the dashboard on Klaviyo go up, right? But that's, yeah. that's not the full business. That's your channel. And what matters is really helping the actual business. So seeing them launch five products, they're launching five products, and knowing that we've contributed to those products, it's like an amazing feeling.
0: Absolutely. That's that's awesome. I think that might be one of the more unique things that we've heard. Because, And again, nothing wrong with you know talking about your area of expertise and what you've been able to drive results-wise there, but I love how you tie that back to the broader business goals. I, like when you say you surveyed a bunch of people to figure out what these new products would be, those were through your email and SMS campaigns, I imagine, or different channels. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And did they specifically, you know, hire you you all to um, to do that specifically, or did you did nope. you kind of nope. identify the opportunity to do some customer research? Like, how did that come about?
2: Again, it, it speaks to how we're different from other agencies, right? I, 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 I'll answer your question. When we start working with a client, the first two weeks, specifically the first two weeks, we have what we call the strategy development phase. And a part of that is doing customer research. So we develop surveys, we run surveys, we analyze surveys, we produce reports, like we map everything in a structured way so that you can interpret the data. So that's we do this for every client. They don't pay extra for that. And again, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do good work, but I would say in our space, we know exactly what we're doing. And I'll I'll tell you one thing that we're doing that I've never seen anybody else do. And I think it's actually fairly, uh, not unique, but like unusual and also beneficial to the listeners potentially. We use sometimes we, we play a lot with service. And one of the things we do is that we use the surveys to create what we call conversion claims conversion statistics so we ask questions that will lead to favorable numbers for the client something like has your mental health improved since starting to use the product Mm. yes or no and then this results in something like 88 percent of customers report mental health improvements and then if you do this smartly you can add a time frame within the first 30 days and this becomes a very powerful claim that you can use on your landing pages on your emails even your ads you need to have some disclaimers, obviously, but it's very powerful. And this is done through service.
0: Right, yeah, I, I love that example. I think it shows sort of how you all think outside the box when it comes to email and SMS, rather than just thinking about, you know, click-through rates and conversions. You're thinking about how can, how can these channels drive a bigger impact on the business? Would you agree with that?
2: Exactly, and I, I, I mean, since we're discussing this, I'm going to go on record and say that honestly, most of the email marketing metrics don't even matter at the end of the day. Like, what matters, the actual email metric that matters, is the number of unique clicks that you're driving to the website. That's mm-hmm. what actually matters. Because if that number goes up, the value you're contributing to the business actually likely goes up. That's the, the best correlation there is. Um, like, things like, what open rate do I have? Or like, how how much is like the bounce rate and stuff like that? Yes, they matter to an extent, but kind of not really.
0: Interesting. So you think the North Star metric, so to speak, is that unique open rate? It's not that you're it's not that unique, you're not
2: unique clicks. Unique oh, clicks. Unique how many people great. you bring yeah. to the website? Like That's that if that number is going up, good things are likely happening. You should yeah. be chatting a lot more things. It's not just this, but right. I'm just saying that the emphasis on things like like open rates, for example, I, I would say it's not as important as people make it out to be, especially now that it's like mostly inflated and fake anyway.
0: Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's just, it's kind of convoluted, but yeah, great call out. Um, yeah. I'd be remiss not to, not to also mention the case study we did together with uh, Miracare. And you know, that I think that that one shows clearly what you were talking about earlier, which is the click-through rates from those emails uh, being so much higher than most brands would think uh, any any email campaign could be, but they're these order tracking emails that do, almost every customer cares about, right? So they want to know exactly. where their package is and when it will arrive. Um, one and that's one
2: where point t- about one point about Milliket, I want to say first of all, they have been a partner of ours for a long time, like over a year, and we've renewed our contract. I, I, I don't see a path where we're stopping anytime soon. Yeah. Um, I want to use this as an opportunity to say that since Yocto started doing business in last September, we've actually, and I, it, it might sound like it's fake, but it's not. We've actually never lost a client. We've only stopped awesome. working with one client, but I made the decision there. Yeah. Everybody else we've worked with, we're still working with them. Uh, or the project like if it was like a project like implementation right. type of thing start and finish like all yep. retainer clients they're still with us and again saying this in the to answer your question how we're different well i guess that yeah yeah again, I know. we're doing something good
0: <laughs> i think that's a great call out yeah and we've seen that on our end too so what do you what would you say you attribute that to? Is it your is it the, the approach that you talked about earlier? Is there anything yep. else that you would call out on that note?
2: Much of it is what I described already. I would say there are some things that are a little bit harder to point to. I might be wrong, but I think for example, the fact that I have personally have frequent open transparent communication with our clients, like on a, how can we improve perspective? Are we doing uh, what has value for you? Like, le- let's call them pulse checks. I have pulse checks with clients like every couple of months and I do that very intentionally. There's like a checklist of questions that I go through that has like down to earth practical things. Like, do you see the do you see value in our reporting? Like from one to five, how would you rate our reporting? You see value in like this and that, Um, and then based on those discussions, there are like outcomes. Either we are in the right course, in which ways we continue to double down on what we're doing, or we make course corrections. So I would say that this also plays a big role. Um, And I would also say this is more for the agency owners that are listening. I think a big part is also knowing who to work with. Yeah. Uh, you can't necessarily um, race uh, to be the first every time, right? Like in a horse race. But you can learn to select the right horse so that you have a higher probability of racing first, if that makes sense. And I think it's the same with the, the brands you work with. You shouldn't be working with everybody. You shouldn't be working with broken businesses that want you to fix them. You should be working with companies that have a plan, a real value proposition, a real, you know, like uh, target audience, a knowledgeable team, like actual companies that know what they're doing. What I see a lot of agency owners do is that they take everything. They will say that we're going to take your money and we're going to figure it out. That, that that That's not a good thing because it can't have – a good outcome. It can work temporarily, but what will end up doing is that the project will break down. The clients won't be happy because you can't really fix a broken business. Then your team won't be happy because they're gonna be like, "Why are we working with those people?" Like, I didn't sign up for this, right? And this has like chain effects that affect everything, and it basically affects your reputation also, and it does a bunch of things. So I would say that this is another thing. We've been selective of who we are working with and we've been lucky also of who we are working with, both in our clients and in our tech partners. I wanna say this, this is a call out for people like you. You've been incredible in how responsive you are. uh, In like, I'm a difficult person to work with sometimes, but like you've been incredible.
0: No, man. Uh, uh, first of all, thank you for saying that. I don't think you're difficult at all. But a uh, couple of things that I've noticed to return some some compliments, but they're very real. One, you have I've noticed your selection, your selectivity around merchants that you work with. I know there was like there have been a couple that we've talked about that you've ultimately passed on working with, which I you know you don't hear a lot, especially early on, right? Like I think to your point a lot of agencies will take on a merchant and then maybe fire them a month or two in. But you do a lot more diligence on the front end to make sure that it's a good fit from the jump. And if they're not, I think you're a little bit more happy to say, let me point you in a different direction, right? (laughs) Uh, And then on the partner side, same thing. You're pretty selective on that too. A lot of, and again, there's nothing wrong with this, but a lot of agencies have 15, 20, some even have more, you know, tech partners, um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you you've been really selective, and I know that when we started working together, I think you were just trying to work with Malomo and Clavio for a quarter or so, just to see how sure. that how we can really um, you know go really deep rather than wide for you in your in your first uh, sort of foray into building tech partnerships. So uh, definitely two unique approaches there. For, for you and the Yocto team, I think, that I've seen.
2: And if I were to give some advice, perhaps, to people that are listening, I would say that they should probably do the same thing. Like, if you want to... And I, I'm not an expert, by any means, in tech partnerships. You are way more knowledgeable than me in this. But I would say that probably you guys are having enough calls with people that are kind of wasting your time. Hey, we want to partner, but like without really having a plan, without really having any lead, just to talk basically, right? So if you do this times 30, what is the outcome? If you multiply 30 by zero, it's still zero. So there's no point in that. I would say that it's much more sensible to find companies. We picked Maloma, we picked Flavio, but it can't be any other company. Find companies that you really believe in, and then really try to do something with them. Like in the first month, the first two months max, have a joint client, have a case study. That's what builds momentum and momentum builds more momentum actually. So that's like, I I would highly suggest to avoid going for the 30 tech partners because it's not gonna work unless you have like, I don't know, like tons of leads coming in which case you're gonna be able to work with a lot of tech partners. I would not suggest you do that.
0: Yeah, yep. I think it's I think it's good advice, especially for folks like you who are um a little bit newer, like getting, you know, you're you're establishing these tech partners as the foundation for what you'll eventually build on. It's really hard to do that if you sign up 10 tech partners right away. I actually just gave that advice to an agency I talked to that's just getting started and they had like 15 apps that they talked, they asked me about. And I was like, all of those are great apps, but you're building a business while trying to partner with 15 different other companies. It's like it's going to be impossible to build really good, solid, deep partnerships with any of them. If you stretch yourself that thin.
2: Um, one, one small point here, I would say that people should look for two traits when they're looking for partners. They should look for either companies that kind of, I guess, dominate the market, like Klaviyo. Clavio is a good company yeah. to partner with because they've penetrated the market. So if you work with Clavio, you can work with a lot of people. That, that's a good trade to have. The right. second thing is a team that's flexible and cares. So if you should go either with the really big ones or I yeah. guess like the more small ones, because yeah. then you're gonna get more support, you're gonna have a more personal relationship. Like I, I'm talking to Noah. I'm not talking to the secretary of the secretary of the secretary the secretary. Right. Of the, and that's a really big thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's awesome for me, too, because I get to have those conversations. But having three secretaries would also be pretty cool one day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so you talked about retention earlier this podcast is focused on retention called retention chronicles. And we've, we've talked about some tactical retention um, strategies, I think already, but one of the things that you mentioned, I think you summed it up by saying retention is an outcome of trying and liking a product. Um, We always like to ask, you know, what does retention mean to you? It sounds like it's that, but feel free to add anything. And then on top of that, what, what, do you feel is like an area of retention uh, in e-commerce that brands regularly neglect?
2: Area of retention that brands regularly neglect? It's not 100% retention, but it is related to the post-purchase. So again, how we're different. When we start working with a client, we purchase their products. So... When we purchase their products, what we often see is that there's a lot of jarring things that are happening. Like, for example, a a common one, the Shopify notifications, the post-purchase notifications, they overlap with Klaviyo emails. So you're getting Shopify notifications and then you're getting a Klaviyo email that basically says the same thing. Oh, hey, like you purchased this. Thank you. La, la, la. So it's the same thing. Uh, Or there's like inconsistencies in like the branding. So the Shopify ones have a different from name than like the Klaviyo ones. Or there's just illogical things happening. Basically, I think one very neglected area is that the operators don't really buy the products they promote and they don't really see what the users see. And that's a very big problem because if you don't see how can you improve, how you can empathize with what they see. So what we do for this is that I said we buy the products and we map everything in a visual way. You know, we use Miro for this, but the tool doesn't matter. We map everything and we literally try to trigger every single path. So like not just purchasing the products, but also like signing up through referral things, pop-ups, footers, checkouts, like everything to see exactly what happens when someone enters the brand's universe. So that's one thing. Um, I would say that. Another thing that I see is that there's a lot of talk, a lot of talk about uh, retention and like LDV and all of those things, but I don't really see a lot of it in the real world. I I see people talk about it a lot, but I don't see a lot of doing. (laughs) Which <laughs> is very really interesting to me. Like I, I sometimes go on LinkedIn and I see all of these talks about like cohort analysis, etc. I'm like, wow, everybody must be crushing it, right? Like, what the hell? But <laughs> then I, I I see what's actually happening, and it's not that. So I, I, I would say probably educational gaps. Like we, we kind of need to upscale ourselves a little bit more on how we do things to go like from theory to practice. Um, And like a a, a very tactical thing that you can do is find the average days between the first and the second order and then use that to time the messages. So for example, you can say that, let's say that the second order happens within the first 45 days. Like I'm just going to give you an example. You can have your regular emails going out within that period of time. And then if the user doesn't purchase again, right? So they don't exhibit the expected behavior. They deviate from the expected behavior. That's when you have a promotion and you can have something like, hey, $5 credit added to your account, something something like that. And then they are going to be incentivized to place the second order. But it is at the right moment. It's not random or accidental. Right. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, man, I love that, that tactical use case. Uh, that's the good stuff that the merchants listing uh, get a lot of value out of. Um, yeah, I, it's funny you say that. Like, people talk a lot about, uh, about, you know, these different LTV and retention tactics. And it's, it really is fascinating to me to think about, like, what percentage <laughs> of people are actually doing, it. or, you know, even like, did the person who just posted this, are they actually doing this?
2: Uh, I'll tell you you about one thing. And I'm I'm guilty of this as well. Like one thing that's kind of popular is like challenges. Like you should be doing challenges. And Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of challenges actually. So I actually know what I'm talking about and they can work. But challenges make sense for certain products. Like you can make a challenge for a supplement, like to take it daily and like improve like that type of thing. It works. But how do you do a challenge for shocks? (laughs) <laughs> no, you can't yeah. do the a challenge there. So if you're, you're selling socks, what do you do? You have no retention? No, like you need <laughs> right. to do something, right? So a lot of the advice people give is very theoretical. And to make this, like to actually answer what I'm saying, how do you sell socks? You, you, you don't really need to incentivize users to wear the socks, they're gonna wear the socks. What you need to do from a brand perspective is capture a portion of the mental availability they have so you need to be basically in front of their faces what does this mean it needs to be having you need to have enough excuses to be sending them enough emails frequently like that's what you need to do which what does this mean it means you need to produce in content have nice collaborations with like influencers or whatever so that you have excuses to send content that's how you would approach the retention there it's not through a challenge
0: yeah Wow. Uh, Again, great, great tactical (laughs) example. And it's like, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I think that same thing for subscriptions, right? Like most brands can find a way to have a subscription program, but um, since that's probably the most talked about lever for retention and, you know, a sock brand may have similar challenges. I'm sure that there are subscriptions for sock brands, but They have to find other (laughs) levers, other levers to pull. Right. Um, Okay. We're wrapping up here. This has been awesome. It flew by George. Um, You've had an awesome career that you've just kind of walked us through um, throughout the last hour. So I always like to end these episodes with one tip or trick or piece of advice that's sort of stuck with you and helped you get to where you are today and where you're heading into the future.
2: I would say that the most important thing, by far, by far, it's, and it's gonna sound like weird, but the most important thing is to have faith in yourself. Mm. That's the most important thing. Trust in your gut, basically, because you, you. I think you need to be slightly delusional to succeed. You need yeah. to, to to be to be kind of seeing like the difficulties and the challenges and be like. It's going to work out, it's fine. yeah you, you right. need to have that sort of attitude because otherwise, like realistically speaking, you shouldn't be taking a lot of risk in life. like for example, business has a lot of risk
0: right
2: Talking about probabilities, you probably should not start a business. It's probably much easier to make like a, to, to live a good life working yeah. for a good company that where they respect you and stuff. So if you go by what feels safe and yeah, you are not going to live an extraordinary life, I guess. So trust your gut, take risks and have faith in yourself that no matter what you're going to perform.
0: I love that advice. It's actually very timely for me because I, I've been reading a book called thinking fast and slow and it's uh, like Nobel prize winning economist talks about exactly what you just said. They're like, you pretty much have to be crazy to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> like, from a st- if you looked at it from a statistical standpoint, nobody would do it, really, <laughs> or they would just ignore the statistics. I I'm like two thirds through the book, and I don't think I'm going to read any more of it because it's like it just it's way too logical. And like, I would prefer to kind of take your advice, George, and trust the gut. And um, you know, the the reality is, is people who uh, have massive success, right? They, they do that and they don't look at the statistics, uh, or, or maybe they're aware of the statistics, but they, they believe that they can defy them. And, uh, I think that's really awesome advice. So I appreciate you sharing that. My pleasure. Awesome. All right. Well, we're right at the hour. I've got a hard stop. So I'm going to let you go, George. Thank you so much, man. It's been a long time coming, but well worth the wait. And thank you, Mariah, as always.
1: Yeah, this was great. Thank you, George.
2: Thank you for having me, Nancy.
1: Talk soon.